You're listening to the Play, Teach, Talk podcast. I'm Tiffany Thompson, a speech pathologist with over 20 years of expertise in working with children under three years of age and their families to help them understand language and communicate more effectively. My specialty is in working with emerging communicators with few or no true words to reduce their frustration, help them interact and play with their peers and family, and learn to truly enjoy the back and forth of functional communication throughout their daily routines. This podcast is not intended to diagnose speech-language disorders, but is more of a general set of suggestions for children who are experiencing delays in their language skills. For recommendations or therapy specific to your child's needs, consultation or evaluation with a licensed speech-language pathologist in your city is highly suggested. This is Season 3, Episode 22 of the Play, Teach, Talk podcast coaching practices, and the natural learning environment. So I alluded to coaching in episode three, I believe it was, of of the first season of the podcast. Um, Megan is also trained in coaching and in natural learning environment practices. And so I'm going to let her talk a little bit more from her perspective about the coaching model. Great. So yeah, um, so within early intervention, Part C early intervention, um, you know, two of the core concepts that kind of ground our practice as early interventionists or coaching and natural learning environment practices. Um, and, you know, that's one thing to kind of keep in mind is, you know, when, when you sign on the dotted line to become an early intervention provider, you know, sign that contract with a CDSA or whatever, you are your discipline, you are a speech therapist, a physical therapist, or an occupational therapist, or a special instructor, but you are also an early interventionist, um, first and foremost. Um, and, and really what that means is that we're following evidence-based practices um, that support building the parent's capacity to support their child's development. Um, and two of those um, evidence-based practices are coaching, which is really based in the research and the science about how adults learn, and natural learning environment practices, which is rooted in the research and the knowledge about how young children learn best. Um, and there's, you know, there's uh, specific characteristics in, in the state of North Carolina. Um, We've adopted the model um, of early intervention coaching that was kind of laid out by Dathan Rush, who's a speech pathologist and PhD level researcher, and Melissa Sheldon, who's a physical therapist and PhD level researcher. Um, in their um, coaching manual, um, diff- there's, a, there's a several other coaching models that are out there. Florida has one, um, Robin McWilliams, who created the routines-based interview, has one called EIEIO. Um, there's one that's kind of based um, that a lot of research is going on right now in Europe called COPCA that is really um, focused on coaching with kids with neurodevelopmental disabilities. They're all based in the same kind of body of research though. So they, they have kind of slightly different bells and whistles. I kind of say, you know, one is an Accord and one is a Camry. They're, they're, <laughs> they're basically the same. They, there's slight differences here and there and that sort of thing. But, but again, coaching, the way that we're implementing it is, you know, again, it's really rooted in um, how we teach the parents and how we reach the parents and how we collaborate with the parents. Um, you know, before I kind of got more training in this, you know, 
you can probably tell I'm a talker and I always would have conversations and have my parents involved in sessions. Um, and so I really felt like I probably already did coaching. It, it was, it was fine. I didn't need to learn this other stuff. Um, and what I learned was I was doing a lot of, um, consulting and I was doing a lot of teaching, which are fine. And there are times where that's necessary. Um, but coaching, um, the doing more of a consulting or a teaching model still kind of puts you in a position of power. It's more of a hierarchical relationship um, over the parent versus coaching, which is really a partnership. You know, we're bringing our kind of discipline specific expertise, but the family is bringing their expertise on their child, on their life, on what, you know, what they want to do. Um, and what we know from, again, from the research is that the majority of developmental progress for most of our kiddos happens between our sessions. It doesn't happen in our sessions. And that relies on, you know, those uh, parents, caregivers, daycare providers to be able to carry over the strategies that we build and build into their natural routines to do that. So coaching is really how we um, structure our sessions so that we're in partnership, that we're um, listening to the family, what their goals, what their priorities are, what their ideas are, um, and then letting them set the agenda. And then we're there in a supporting role rather than in a kind of dictating, giving homework, telling them what to do sort of a role. Um, the other piece then is the natural learning environment practices. And again, like I said, that's really based in how we know that young children learn best. And there's three components that kind of make up those natural learning environment practices. Um, the first is child interest, meaning, um, you know, we always, children learn best when they're interested and engaged in the activity um, and doing it in, with um, people they're interested in and in context that they're interested. Um, the second one we call activity setting, or you can think of that as like your, your daily routines. Children learn best when they are doing things in the daily routines that naturally happen throughout their day. Um, doing pull-out sessions, doing drill work, um, you know, is, is really not the most supportive and is not the easiest to carry over into what most families' daily lives look like. So really thinking about the specific routines and building strategies into things that are already happening makes it much more likely that there's going to be carryover between sessions. Um, and then the third element is parent responsiveness. So teaching parents how to invite, engage their children in those activities, and then how to teach the skills that we want them to learn within the context of those activities. Um, and that's something that I think, um, you know, we as early intervention practitioners got into it because we're good with kids, right? Um, I think a lot of us have had the experience where, you know, a parent said, oh, he's really wary of new people. He's not going to come to you. He won't. And like within 10 minutes, they are crawling all over us and playing, right? And they just think that we're the best thing ever. And we <laughs> have these magic skills, right? Well, that good with kids thing is, is it, those are teachable skills and things that we can kind of break down. And a lot of parents don't really know how to do them. Um, sometimes that's because of cultural differences, which we want to respect, but sometimes it's because maybe they weren't kind of interacted with in a playful, supportive way as a child. Um, maybe it's because they aren't um, kind of um, in the just in the headspace that they have the ability and the power to do that. Um, and so, part of our job as as early interventionists is to support the parents in learning how to kind of bring their kids in. Um, you know, another reason is a lot of times, you know, sometimes our kids don't have kind of typical play. Um, you know, our kids that maybe are going to be falling on the autism spectrum disorder, their play um, looks different and that's okay, but some parents may not know how, how to kind of support that. So 
Um, our part of our job, regardless of our discipline, is to support families in those things. Um, and you know, one of the things that I think is so powerful about this, um, Tiffany, I think we were talking a little while ago. You know, I've I've have heard tons of times, you know, that oh, little Johnny, you know, she talks so much during your physical therapy. She makes so many more sounds during physical therapy, but she won't do anything for the speech therapist, right? And, um, you know, part of that is it's a couple of different things, I think, that are often going on there. One is, again, especially if you're kind of in that old school mindset where some, you know, we'd have speech therapists that would come in and plop the kid down in a chair, put a tray on so they'd sit still and, you know, bring toys and things for them to interact with. But it's really um, pa more passive on the child's part. So for one thing, from a sensory regulation standpoint, young kids are not built to sit there. They are built to move and explore. And so from a sensory arousal sort of um, sensory regulation standpoint, anytime we're asking them to sit still, it's just never going to work long term. Um, and then second of all, you know, if I take Johnny outside and we're climbing on the playground and we're looking at bugs and then the plane flies over, he's got all sorts of interesting things that he wants to communicate to me. Um, so that intrinsic motivation relying on those child interests is super important. Um, you certainly can use again, coaching and natural learning, natural learning environment practices independently. You can certainly be um, using natural learning environment practices, but not using a coaching approach. But again, the evidence that we have um, in um, supporting kind of that early childhood learning, you know, birth to age three, birth to age five, really supports bringing in, um, again, those uh, natural learning environment practices to support the child and the coaching skills to help the parents. Um, and really, you know, the mind shift that I think is really important for us, it's hard as therapists to give up the control of the session that we are trained to think we have, especially as a physical therapist. I mean, oh, sure. we're, you know, we're, we are taught our hands are our tools. And if we're not like having our hands on that kid the whole session, we are wasting everyone's time. Um, but the, the, the analogy I gave is like this. Um, so you know, um, it, basically what it does is it makes the relationship not between me as a therapist and the child. I'm not there to see the child. I'm there to see the family or I'm there to work with mom so that mom knows how to um, or dad knows how to, you know, work with that child. Right. Um, the analogy when I kind of really started using this model with some of my established clients, I had uh, one family. Um, mom was always engaged in the sessions, but I was definitely the one always kind of doing all the handling, doing all the setting up and the doing, and she was watching. Um, and she, some stuff got carried over, but I figured it could be better, you know. But what we talked about is I said, you know, your older child, he plays, um, he plays football, doesn't he? And she says, yeah. I said, well, how would you feel if he went and had a one hour football practice where he sat on the bench with all of his teammates and watched all of his coaches play. And his coaches are pretty good at it because they've been doing it for years and years and years, right? They can throw and catch. They know the plays. They know what to do. They're watching this, right? And then maybe the last five minutes of the, of the, of the uh, hour, the kids get on the field and get to try it once or twice before they send them <laughs> off. How would you feel about that? She's like, oh, I'd be mad. I'm like, of course you would. Because it doesn't really do them a lot of good. Really what they need to do is they needed that that hour practice needs to mostly be the kids practicing those things with the supervision and support of the coaches to correct the mistakes that they're making and to and to grow right 
And, um, you know, in this situation, you know, again, the analogy to EI, in that situation, the parent is the kid. The parent is the one that needs to learn this stuff. And so her sitting there watching me, who's been, who's been doing this for 25 years, doesn't really build her capacity to carry it over. Right. She may think it is. And but then but then the next day when she goes to try and do it, she's like, well, exactly. Where was her hand? I don't remember. Or whatever it is, you know. Um, so really, we need to just it, it's a mind shift of thinking about what is the purpose of our sessions and who are we really trying to teach um, so that we can get that carryover, which we know is what's important for actually making that progress. So absolutely. Yeah, I've actually started using our cameras on our phones too. That mm -hmm. in the session, if they're okay with me taking a video and texting it to them of them doing the the, the actual activity, mm -hmm. that's one thing that's been so beneficial. Is so then they can see themselves doing it, and that's very empowering. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great strategy. You know, yeah, ha either that or, or just having them do it on their own phone. You yeah. know, taking taking a video of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of different, you know, there's a lot of tools that we can use to support that. But again, really what it comes down to is, again, asking yourself, is is what I'm doing right now with this child and this family building that parent's capacity or is it building their dependence on me? Right, right. right. And um, while building dependence feels really good, we get all kinds of warm fuzzies, um, you know, when they just, oh, we just don't know what we'd do without you. Um, that's really not in the long term beneficial to that family or that child. Absolutely. Agreed. Well, I think this is wonderful, kind of great chunk of information about both of these things. So I'll, I'll kind of end it here. But OK, this is a great opportunity for parents to email me. If you want to email me at playteachtalk at gmail.com with any questions you have about this or additional topics you'd like me to talk about, please let me know. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would help me greatly if you subscribe or leave a five-star review. For additional content, including YouTube videos, articles, handouts, and help catered specifically to your child's needs, please visit playteachtalk.com.